Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Live your own way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu new dealer today. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Looking out the window today, I can see a lot of food vans. They're getting ready for the WA Day celebrations, of course, out here later today. I can also see a lot of rain on the window. So if you're coming out to those celebrations, best you bring an umbrella and a raincoat because it's a damp, damp day. We've got a big show for you today. We're going to touch base with the West Australians, Craig O'Donoghue, shortly. Craig, of course, former colleague of mine. He's a uh, uh, a very senior football writer at the West. He's also covers the Wildcats, of course. And uh, he's also a former WAFL umpire. So he's the one I usually turn to, to run the ruler over dangerous incidents on a football field. We'll be getting his thoughts on Jordan Degoe. I'll give you my thoughts on that in just a moment. We'll also touch base with a tennis journalist, Vel Febo. He's from the Breakpoint podcast and part of the First Serve team on SEN. Get an update on events at Roland Garris, of course, where the French Open is being played at the moment. And later on in the show, we'll also talk to Sean Maloney from Stan Sports. He's a rugby commentator. And we'll get his thoughts on Western Force's disappointing end to the season. Of course, well beaten by an undermanned Chiefs team in Perth at the weekend when a victory would have given them a spot in the finals for the first time. How many weeks do you think Jordan Degoe should get for his bump on Elijah Hewitt? He's going straight to the tribunal. And on behalf of Isuzu Utes, I'll give you these four points on Degoe to drive you into this WA day on behalf of the Isuzu D-Max. First point, he was late. So he had no right to make content, contact. Second point, he was high. If you bump, you have to avoid the head. Third point, suggestions that West Coast players should have remonstrated more strongly with Dugowie afterwards are ridiculous. It was in play. Most would have been following the ball and wouldn't have even seen it. And right now, West Coast are picking from about 27 or 28 fit players. So what are they supposed to do? Get a couple of more players injured or suspended in a fight. That'll really help them. And the fourth point, Dugowie has to get minimum three, and I would argue four weeks at the tribunal. We'll get Craig O'Donoghue's thoughts on that a bit later on. He's very good at running the ruler over these things. And let's also do, while we're at it, four points on West Coast after this 63-point loss. What did you think of it? Was it a good effort? They were pretty competitive up until three-quarter time. 
Or have we become so desensitised to West Coast blowouts and losses that anything remotely competitive just feels like it's okay? This felt a little bit different. They did lose players to injuries early. Uh, but conversely, they have now lost 10 games in a row where they have not come closer than 40 points to an opponent. It is a bleak, bleak season. How did you assess it? You can tell us on the Temperate Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. Four points of list management on behalf of the Isuzu D-Max for West Coast. One, make the easy list management call first, and that means at the end of the season you retire Shannon Hearn. No discussion about another season for the veteran. Shannon Hearn should be treated respectfully. He is an all-time great. He is a premiership captain. He's played 328 games. It's a club record. But he turns 36 in September, and when you're doing list management, one of the things you refer to are their birth certificates. He's played some good games. He might try to play on. He's played 8 of 12 games now. He had to be managed after four games. Then he was injured. He missed another two games. He'll miss another two or three games as a result of the hamstring strain he suffered before quarter time on the weekend. It's time now. Point two, and yes, birth certificates are important. Tim Kelly is 28. Liam Duggan is 26. Elliot Yo is 29. Dom Sheed is 27. These are the core senior players to guide the club through the tough early stages of this rebuild. They showed that on Saturday night with their performances. Of course, Sheed's 43 disposal effort with a goal in his 150th game was super. Elliot Yo, terrific in the third quarter in particular with 12 disposals and three clearances in that quarter. You add in Tom Barras, who is 27, and Oscar Allen, who is 24, and there you have your core senior group. Yo, we've forgotten how good he was. Three and a half years of injury, but he's not yet 30, so you've got to give him time to get himself right. And what we saw on the weekend is that he is West Coast's most important player. West Coast, with Yo playing like he did on Saturday, are basically playing a different sport to the West Coast that plays without him. Remember, he was their best player between 2016 and 2019. He won two club best and fairest in that time. He finished second in another club best and fairest. He was their best and fairest player in their premiership season of 2018. Point three, Luke Shuey and Nick Natanui have to get uninterrupted blocks of footy behind them in the back half of this year and further injury should put their place on the list in jeopardy. Doesn't matter what Nick Natanui's contract says, and we know that he's contracted to play again in 2024. Nick played 8 of 22 last year, and he has not played yet this year. Luke Shuey played 7 of 22 in 2021 because of repeated hamstring strains. He played 17 of 22 last year, 
He's played four of 12 so far this year. We're hearing reports that he might get back in time for the Adelaide game this weekend. But if these guys can't get out there and stay out there between now and the end of the season, it's time for them to join Shannon Hearn in retirement. Both of these players are 33 now, and the club cannot just assume they're going to come good. They are going to have to prove they can come good. It's proving time for a number of players at West Coast, and that includes these old stars. West Coast can't keep using injury as an excuse when they keep putting old players out there who are more injury-prone. That points the way forward for Hearn, injured before quarter time the other night, and it also points the way forward for Nat Nui and Shuey if they can't get out there and stay out there. And my final point, point four. Birth certificates alone should not be used to save Andrew Gaff, Josh Rotham and Xavier O'Neill. Gaff is only 30, but between now and the end of the season, he has to show he has something more to offer. There was a moment in the third quarter the other night which sums up Gaff's season. He barely made the distance from inside 40 metres, shooting to get West Coast within nine points. He still finds the ball, not as often as he used to. He's averaging 22 disposals a game this year, but he doesn't use it effectively at the moment. Rotham has played 55 games. He's 25 years old now. He had a tough job on the weekend. He had to play in the Magpie Talls after Tom Barris came out of the team. And every weekend, Josh Rotham will offer us a glimpse of what he might be capable of. And on the weekend, he did it again. He took a great mark. But... He battled for most of the night as the most experienced tall on the Collingwood tall forwards. And it can't be about potential anymore for Josh. He has to show more between now and the end of the season or he has to make way. And Xavier O'Neill is 22, which is still quite young. He tagged Nick Dacos on the weekend. He went okay. He kicked a goal, faded out of the game, and Dacos got away from him later on. He played 11 of 22 games last year. He's played 8 of 12 this year. He has 32 games overall. He's averaging 12 disposals a game this year. It's not enough. He has to do more if he's going to hang on. These are the tougher calls for West Coast and their list management. As I said at the top, the easy one is Shannon Hearn. He has to retire at the end of the season. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line. That is 0487 736 736. Or you can call us on the open line 13 12 55. After the break, we'll be back with the West Australians, Craig O'Donoghue. He will run the ruler over the Jordan Degoe bump on Elijah Hewitt. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Picked up, running hard. Hewitt, he was bumped hard. It's going to get a free kick. I look forward to seeing the replay because Hewitt's very slow to get up. As we take a look at the replay, there's the hand pass. Yeah, he's in a world of hurt. And there will be a suspension for Jordan to go. And the boys probably didn't respond the way that we should have when, when that happened. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, watching it back now, I think he uh, deserves a good month or two on the sidelines. It's out of my hands. Yeah, it's... 
it's footy. Again, I hope the young lad's okay. Um, that's where our concern goes to. I hope he's okay and Jordy's a fair player and um, yeah, the rules will be the rules. Yeah, I think if uh, he got three, Collingwood would say absolutely we'll take it. Four or five is probably not far away from being reasonable given the outcome and we're really trying to stamp that out of the game. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. If you want to have your say on the Jordan Degoe hit or on West Coast performance against Collingwood on Saturday night, you can on the Temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can call us on the open line 13 12 55. We have called my former colleague at the West Australian, Craig O'Donoghue, for his view on Degoe and West Coast performance on Saturday night. Craig, of course, is a senior footy writer at the West. He's also the basketball writer, covers the Wildcats. He's also a former WAFL umpire, so well-placed to cast his eye and the ruler over the Dugowie hit. Craig, welcome to the show. How you going, Duff? I'm very well, mate. I believe your kids are wandering around at school wondering why no one else is there because you, uh, you, uh, <laughs> you, you, you forgot it was WA day. I mate, when you asked for this interview yesterday, I just finished coaching my kids' soccer team. It was a bit, it was close, and I was a little bit spun out at that point. And I just went, oh, sorry, Monday that we school on. And I woke up this morning and went, no, they won't. It is hard as a journo. You do forget some of that. They, are, they aren't at school, but I, I did think yesterday when we talked that I was going to be sending them to school, but it's quite funny at times. We don't get public holidays, so why should they? No, we forget about weekends, don't we? We don't know what a weekend is anymore. I don't indeed. <laughs> So, mate, uh, what do you think? How many weeks does Dugowie get at the tribunal? I think it's three. I think it's pretty clear cut on, on these sorts of, sorts of things that uh, if you choose to bump and you hit someone in the head and there's damage, or even if it's not damage, you're in trouble, but if there's damage like there was to Eliza Hewitt with concussion, then it, it, it's three weeks. Um, and we've seen that being pretty consistent now throughout this year and, and for a fair amount of time, I reckon, as well. They've started to, to say, you know what, this is unacceptable. This is a three-week offence. Um, and I think, yeah, Jordan go will be sitting on the sidelines for three weeks. Why not four or five, given that the AFL is suffering or is, is waiting on class actions for concussion? And this was, as you say, elected to bump, hit him in the head, and there was damage. So why not make a stronger statement? Well, I think on precedent this year alone, it's hard to go beyond the three. I don't think we're going to see anything worse from an action point of view than what Shane McAdam did to Jacob Ware in the, in the first round of the season where he just launched himself at him and Ware somehow wasn't knocked out. But it was the worst thing we'll see, on, I think, from a bumping perspective this year. And similarly, with Cosie Pickett got two simply because Bailey Smith got back up in round one. So I think it wasn't... It, it, traditional, really super late after a kick, jump in the air, smash them scenario, but he chose to bump and he made contact. So I think there's enough uh, details there to go, well, it's not the worst thing that we'll see. Um, I think even Nathan brought on Patrick Parnell when there was a sling tackle earlier in the year and he drove him into the ground was a worse action. So I'm comfortable with it being three in these circumstances. You wrote a strong column in the West Australian today saying there should be a send-off rule and for an action like Dugowie's, it should at least be an option for the umpires. Explain that. Yeah, so I just think if in any scenario where a reportable offence occurs and the player who is offended against can't come back onto the field, I think that the AFL needs to have someone outside the game 
looking at the incident in real time during the match and sending a message back to the ground saying, well, if that player can't come back on, then the player who's been reported who is going to be sent direct to the tribunal, he has to come off too. Because at the moment, you, you, with the concussion rules the way they are, you know what, they're going to miss two weeks. So is three fair enough? Is it fair enough that the opposition then have to be a man down for the rest of the game? I think in the rare scenarios, and they are very rare, where the reportable offence results in the player not being able to come back onto the ground, the player who is reported shouldn't be able to come back on either. And I think there would be consistency that would build for that under that sort of criteria. It's, it was very, very clear to everyone. And it was clear to everyone that the goalie had done the wrong thing. It was clear to everyone that, it, that there was enough vision to prove it. It was clear to everyone that Hewitt was in trouble. Uh, I think that's one of those ones where you can say, yep, uh, that one, Andrew Gaffer, Andrew Brasher a few years ago, they've been brought on Patrick Parnell this year. Um, Tom Stewart, when he knocked out down Prestia last year, they're clear examples of incidents which we all go, that's unacceptable. That player's injured. You have to go off to. So... What about a sin bin, like a, a, a sort of a halfway house for, for send-offs where they get 20 minutes where they can't come back on the field and maybe even um, where a club has to play one short for, for five or 10 or 15 minutes? Yeah, I don't like the one short scenario. When I was umpiring in, in amateur football, that was the rule, and it just caused chaos. Like, if you got it wrong at any point, that was worse than getting it wrong when you sent someone off because you, you, the game always swung on one player less on the field. Um, and that was before you know, we had, had this, the sort of footage being played today. Players were still standing in positions at that point. Um, so I, I don't mind having this, the 20 minutes off. But I think there has to be some sort of punishment for the player who has committed the act. And if Jordan Ngoi gets three weeks, as an example now, Elijah Hewitt's got two weeks himself because he was off in the first quarter. He'll miss the next one. I think the punishment needs to be similar and uh, even up the nature of the game that's um, been been caused to be uneven because one player's been forced to go off the field and can't come back on due to an illegal act. So... West Coast players have been criticised for not reacting more strongly. Now, Greg Clark, who was one of the players who remonstrated with Dugowie after quarter time, made the point that he he thought it was a bit embarrassing that no one really flew the flag. I, I'm a bit of a sceptic on this. I, I mean, I, what are they supposed to do? They're picking from about 28 players. What do you do? You, you, you spark an all in Mallee or Brawl, a couple of you get suspended and someone gets injured and then suddenly you're picking from 24 or 25 next week. I don't see how that helps West Coast. Personally, I believe they responded in the right way by playing really strongly up until they ran out of puff at three-quarter time. Um, I'm just not a fan of, oh, someone's been hurt, so therefore you've got to try and hurt one of the opposition players. I absolutely agree with you. I, I, I was shocked by the level of anger that they didn't go at him. But what people have forgotten also is that most of them didn't see it because it, it was a hand pass in play. It was in play, exactly, so, yep. Yeah, it was a hand pass in place, and most people didn't see it because it was so quick. We all needed to look at the replay to see what happened. So what hope is a player? Greg Clark was on the bench, so he could look at the replay and see what happened, which made it easier for him. The other thing you've got to remember is Calum Jamison took a mark from the advantage play. So when by the time the game was stopped, West Coast were having a shot on goal when they hadn't kicked the goal yet. Do we want them all to go and smash Jordan to go and give the ball back? I just don't see the, the, what, what the, the point of doing that is. And also... He was playing poorly at the time. Like the guy didn't have a good game. Nineteen touches, didn't score, a couple of clearances, was having had no impact on the game throughout it. So if they had a guy on him, maybe suddenly, as you say, you give away a free kick, 
you might get reported and you might spark him into action. I didn't have a problem with the fact they didn't go him. I thought that it was that, that you're better off going and winning the hard ball, and then you can look afterwards and say, oh yeah, you should have because of this, 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 and this. But they played hard footy afterwards, and I reckon that's far better than doing what we all criticised Fremantle for, which was going hard at Rory Lobb and then not going hard at the footy. Um, I don't have a real, any real problem with that. I know that if culturally players will say, oh, you have to and all that sort of stuff, but. If you're not absolutely certain that someone's done something wrong and you're guessing and you've, and you've got the ball and you're having a shot for goal, I'm not sure you should be attacking someone when you don't know what they've done. You attended Adam Simpson's press conference after the game. I heard you asking questions. Did you detect anger from Simo or did you feel he felt it was more just one of those things that happened in footy and provided us dealt with properly, they're okay with it? I detected anger from Simo. I detected that he was probably... I imagine he went to the call of time and said, why did no one go to the goalie? Or yeah. he said it after the game. It was just, there were just too many players afterwards saying those sorts of messages. And given that they most of them admitted they didn't see it at the time, the only way yeah. that it feels like that message could be so consistent is if the coach had said, hang on a second, what the hell are you guys doing? Um, now, I might be wrong on that, but it just felt you could, you could feel him bubbling underneath and he was trying not to say something and trying to say something at the same time. You see he was angry. In fact, he mentioned you know, he's, a, he's a teenager in his fourth game, all those sorts of things. When, when coaches start saying those sorts of things, you, you know that they're furious. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that he would have wanted these players to react based on the way that they've reacted post-game with, with their comments. It's an interesting point about the age, 18-year-old playing his fourth game. I come back to the AFL's draft age on this. Like, I'm all for Dugowie getting four weeks myself. I, I think late high elected to bump consequences for Hewitt, so therefore have to be severe consequences for Dugowie. I just don't see how there can be consequences because he hit an 18-year-old. Um, this is the toughest sporting competition in Australia. If we're going to put 18-year-olds out there which the AFL says is okay to do because of their age, their, their drafting age, then I think we have to understand the environment we're putting them into. If we think it's not okay for something like this to happen to an 18-year-old, I think we need to revisit the draft age. What's your, what's your take on that? Oh, yeah, if you've got the ball, you're fair game, as long as you're not getting smacked in the head like Jordan Degoe did. Like, as you said... When you've got the ball, you can be tackled. When you've got the ball, you can be bumped. Just don't hit him in the head. And when you've got the ball, you're allowed to dominate like Nick Dacos has been doing for the past two years. So um, it, once you're out in the footy field, everyone's even. And it's unfortunate if you're a little bit wider, uh, if you're a little bit slower, if you're, if you're a little bit shorter, all those sorts of things, um, you're also a little bit younger. So uh, once you've got the ball, you have to do with the ball what you can do um, at any sort of level. So um, we're all even once you, get, once you step onto the footy field. And coaches always say the birthday doesn't matter at selection at times. Well, the birthday doesn't matter when you've got the ball because you have to be tackled or you have, the opposition have to win the ball back. So, uh, yeah, to go, he won't get an extra week because he hit a younger bloke. He'll get, next, he'll get the weeks because he hit somebody in the head. Shannon Hearn, Cod, he's 35, he turns 36 in September. By the time he comes back, I suspect it'll be around 14 or 15, so he will have played eight of 15 games. I heard someone say the other day that Shannon Hearn was considering trying to play on. To me, this is the easiest list management decision West Coast have to make at the end of this year, and they've got some tough ones ahead of them. They have to be prepared to make the call on Shannon Hearn, surely. Oh, absolutely. He's had too many soft tissue injuries now. 
Um, he, he looked okay last year um, and, and this year, and you know, his, his, his body is showing now that he is an aging player, an aging warrior. He's been awesome for them. He's captain the flag, and everything's ever once from a bloke. But he's old, and when you get old, you, you have soft tissue injuries, and unfortunately, you can't carry players on your list who are going to break down. And, and um, yeah, he's been he's been amazing. But at this point, when you once you start having all these different soft tissue injuries as well, that's when you you know your body's saying you can't play at this level anymore, which is unfortunate because he is a great leader, he is a great player, but his body's not going to allow him to, to play for much longer. And um, I think, yeah, as you say, at the end of this year, there'll be times we look at it and say how many games. Do we think we're going to get out of Shannon, a healthy Shannon next year? And the answer will be not enough. The other thing before I let you go, I think we got a reminder on Saturday night that Elliot Yo is their best player and their most important player. Oh, he's a star, isn't he? Like, he just his aggression at winning the football and then just bursting clear to get that space and then be able to kick it long. Like when he had the OP, he just couldn't do that. He couldn't move laterally. He couldn't explode out at a stoppage. He is so good. And yeah, when you see him back to his best like that, that's the player they've missed. That's what the that's what the the type of player that they've been desperately searching for. Um, yeah, he's he's such a good player, and you can see why they want to play him in the midfield. But the concern is if they play him in the midfield a lot, will he break down again? You just don't know. Um, he's not that. He's not that good a player compared to in, in the back line compared to what he's in the midfield. He's so much better a player in the midfield what he can do there. So it's a hard decision for, him, for them about where they play him. But uh, when he's in the midfield, he changes games. He's dynamic. He's, he's outstanding. So they're going to want to put him in there. You just hope that his body can hold up as well. Absolutely. Craig O'Donoghue, always very knowledgeable on a number of sports and also the officiating of a number of sports. Thank you very much for joining us, mate. Uh, uh, Still enjoy reading your stuff in the West Australian and uh, look forward to reading more of it as the season goes on. No worries. Have a good day, everyone. Craig O'Donoghue, what do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line. Three or four weeks for Geordie Degoe. That text line is 0487 736 736. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we've had our take on Jordan Degoe. We've done a bit of West Coast list management as well. I'm getting some strong feedback on Twitter on that one about my uh, call that Shannon Hearn needs to retire at the end of the season. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. After the break, we're going to be talking tennis with... Vel Febo from Breakpoint Podcast and also part of the First Serve team on SEN. Of course, the French Open ongoing at Roland Garros. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. If you want to have your say on anything on the show today, you can. You can join in on the temper at Bedshed text line. That is 0487 736 736, or you can call us on the open line 13 12 55. Joining us on the show now, Vel Febo. He's part of the Breakpoint podcast. He's part of the first serve team on SEN. He's been following the French Open at Roland Garros. Vel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, my uh, sleep deprivation is, is at an all-time high at the moment. The way uh, the way Roland Garros is going, there's been a lot of long matches that have extended late into the night here, but it's been um, it's been a wonderful tournament so far. So it looked a bit more routine though for the big guns overnight, didn't it? Uh, a few straight set results uh, enabling Sitsipas, Djokovic, and Elkaraz in particular to get through and conserve some energy. 
Yeah, it certainly did. It was um, it was a night that I sort of didn't expect for, for Carlos, really, because the last time he took on Italian Lorenzo Musetti in the Hamburg final last year, Musetti actually came up with the win. Um, and the way that he's been playing, he dispatched Cam Norrie in the, um, in the third round in straight sets. I thought Alcaraz might have a bit of a tough time, but the way that he handled the situation was just perfect. He's... He's a wonderful player and he's going to just get better and better over time. He's only 20 years old and he's already winning these matches. Like it's just his, his morning routine. And, um, you know, his match against Stefano Tsitsipas in the quarterfinals is going to be one of the all time classics at Roland Garros because Tsitsipas has just been able to hit his straps a little bit, um, was able to account for Sebastian Offner last night. And as you said, Novak Djokovic as well, he got through over one Pablo Varias um, in straight sets. Varias had come through three five setters in a row um, and, you know, made the fourth round of a Grand Slam for the first time in his career, actually made the second round of a Grand Slam for the first time in his career at the French. So, um, you know, it was a big run for him and I think he just ran out of puff. And against Djokovic, that's very easy to do. So do you see Alcaraz as the natural successor to the big three? Is he the one that will take the crown from them? I think so. And, and I think the succession plan has already begun really the the way that he played at the US Open to win it last year was mightily impressive and he won that with Nadal in the draw but I think the big one for him is now he's in the same side of the draw as Novak Djokovic if he plays Djokovic in the semi-finals and beats him and then goes on to win the title I think that's the big test because he needs to I think people are still sceptics over when there's a member of the big three in the draw, whoever they play, they are automatically going to win. So I think that's pivotal for Alcaraz. Should he meet Novak in the in the semis, I think he just needs to win that match, which I have all faith that he can do because he's got the belief. He's beaten Djokovic before. Um, he's beaten Rafa before on clay. He knows how to win these matches and he has the belief that he can do it over five sets. He's fit. He's a young bull. He's ready to go. And I, I think, look, he, he deserves to be the favourite. He's world number one. Djokovic hasn't really given us the sample size of, of results over the last few months, hasn't actually won a title since, uh, since the Australian Open. So I, I think Carlos deserves to be the favourite. And I think the succession plan is well and truly on. He's, he's the world number one. And he's playing unbelievable tennis. Tsitsipas is one of a group of players that nearly got there, nearly challenged the big three, and has never quite been able to. What are his chances against Alcaraz in the quarters? I don't think there's much, to be honest. The way the recent meetings between the two um, ha- have gone to Carlos, and, and they played in the Barcelona final just last month, and Alcaraz was able to handle Steph pretty convincingly in straight sets. Um, so I think... This might be the end of the road for Tsitsipas. It probably won't be a straight set win for Alcaraz. If it is, I'll be even more uh, more driven to think that he is the favourite for the tournament. But yeah, I think I think Alcaraz should handle him in, in about four. And it's unfortunate for Steph because him and Zverev and you know other guys and Andre Rublev have been sort of that next gen for so many years that we're going to be the ones to take over the mantle of the big three. But Alcaraz and Sinner and Holger Rune have all come through and now they look like they're the next ones to do it. And Alcaraz already has with the Grand Slam. So it's a little bit of a disappointment for, um, for Tsitsipas, but you know, he's, he's still a chance to get that world number one ranking after the, after the tournament. So he's going to be driven and, and willing to go as far as he can to win this. 
What does he have to do, do you think? What's the part of Sitsipas's game that's meant he's come up a bit short? He's a great shot maker, plays with a lot of flair. Is it consistency or is it just uh, durability to be able to hang in these long games like, like Brutes, like Alcaraz and Nadal have always been able to, and Djokovic for that matter? I think there's a little bit of physicality early on in his career. There was a match in 2020 at the French Open where he came from two sets to love down against Djokovic to force a fifth in the semis. But Djokovic started playing all these drop shots, ensuring that Tsitsipas would cramp up. And it was the perfect tactic from Djokovic. But now it's more mental. That 2021 Roland Garros final, when he was up two sets to love against Novak and lost, that hurt him for a very long time. A very long time. And then he makes the Australian Open final this year. Will things be different? And Djokovic handles him with utter ease. So I think mentally that's been the biggest problem because he's got the shots, he's got the game style to do it. But whether he can just hold out mentally, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. So that, that's always going to be the big one. Who does Djokovic play in his quarterfinal, Bell? He plays Karen Kashinov, the, uh, the big Russian. Uh, the yep. Russian Hemsworth, they call him. Um, but <laughs> he's, a, he's a great, great player. Um, and he's the only player to make the, uh, the last three quarterfinals at the last three majors. So he's in good form. Um, he beat Kyrgios last year at the US Open, and he's just continued his, um, his consistency, and he can do it on all surfaces. Um, he's a very good clay quarter for a big guy and, and a hard hitter. Um, and, and Djokovic might have his work cut out for him. He hasn't really played a player that hits the ball like this um, and is as consistent as this. He had Martin Fucevic in the second round, but Kashanov is a different kettle of fish and it might not be so straightforward for Djokovic. What about on the other side of the draw? The other side of the draw, this is so open. It's magnificently open, really, because you've got Holger Runa. He's there. He'll be taking on uh, Francisco Serundolo from Argentina. That's their fourth round clash tonight. Um, the Danes should get through that one pretty comfortably, but then, then you get the quarterfinals against the, against last year's defending runner-up, Casper Ruud. Now, I believe the winner of this one will make it through to the final because both of them are in... Well, Ruud not so much as he was last year, but he's, he seems to be building towards something here. Plays his best surface. He's got great memories at Roland Garros from last year. But Runa is in unbelievable form. The way that he's been playing to make the Monte Carlo Masters final and the, um, and the Rome final, he loves clay. He's confident. He's young. He wants to win a Grand Slam. He said he wants to win one this year. That's his goal. He's 20 years old. He's driven. He wants to win this. So it's probably going to be either Rune or Runa or Rude. And then you've got the bottom quarter of the draw where Alexander Zverev is there. But last year, I would have said it's probably a walk in the park for him to get to the final. But his ankle injury has held him off for such a long time and he's only just starting to sort of build back now. So takes on Grigor Dimitrov um, tonight, which will be a really interesting contest. And then you've got Thomas Martin Echeverry against Yoshihito Nishioka. One's unseeded. The other one's the 27th seed from Japan. He's in his second week of the French Open for the first time. So this one could go either way. But I do believe that um, Zverev probably gets to a semi, but will get stopped by Runa or The women's looks like it's headed towards a Sabalenka-Sviatek final. Yeah, it's looking ever more prevalent, isn't it? Iga Sviontek is playing just unbelievably well. She's taken four six-love sets in her three matches so far, which is 
that is that is taking the P one double five if you ask me. She's just <laughs> playing so well, and the confidence that she has at Roland Garros almost rivals that of Nadal because she just doesn't lose at the venue. She's won two of the last three editions, and the one match that she lost, she was actually carrying an injury. So I'm so impressed with what she's been able to put together. She's been by far and out the best player on tour since Ash Barty retired. Um, she'll take on Ukrainian Lacey Sorenko tonight, so that should be really interesting. But then Coco Goff, she's the interesting prospect here. If they meet in the quarterfinals, who knows what happens there? Goff is a French Open finalist. We know that from uh, from last year. So the rematch of the final could be well and truly on. But, yeah, the way that Arena Sabalenka is playing, she dispatched Sloan Stevens last night. And um, Stevens, the 2018 finalist, knows how to play on clay. And Sabalenka's enjoying her deepest run at Roland Garros. Um, she'd only ever gotten to the third round before. So now she finds herself in a quarterfinal. She's, you know, the calendar Grand Slam is on for her. So she'd be even more driven. She won the Australian Open, of course. And Wimbledon is a, a tournament that suits her a lot in terms of her game style. So I think she's she's brimming with confidence at the moment. But you've also got um, Alina Svitolina. She plays her in the quarterfinals tomorrow night. Um, and Svitolina's on an eight-match winning streak. She came back from um, having a child on April 2nd. She was ranked outside the top 1,000. The live ranking is back inside the top 100 with how she's been playing. So it's not going to be easy there for Arena Sabalenka. Um, Anastasia Pavlichenko, the, last, uh, the 2021 runner-up, she's still in the draw. Um, and then, yeah, you've got um, the likes of Beatrice Admire from Brazil. She's not a bad player. And Onjabor, you know, she's contended for two Grand Slams over the last um, couple of, or over the last year at Wimbledon and the US Open, losing in both finals. So um, it is, it is seemingly, as you said, Mark, looking like a eager the arena final, but I'm not so sure just yet, but I'm starting to tend to agree with you. So what sort of tournament has this been for the Australians? We're used to seeing this end of uh, Roland Garros with no Australians in it, but how, how did we go, do you think, this year? Better than I thought we would, to be honest. Um, you know, look, it was very unlucky for Benassi Kokonakis not to push Karen Pashinov further. Um, you know, he served for the fourth set to take it to a fifth from two sets to love down and um, had a set point, dropped it, was up 4-1 in the fourth set tiebreak, and then fell over on the on match point down, which just sort of typified that fourth set, really. And, um, look, Jason Kubler getting through to the second round was a really good performance. Um, Max Purcell winning his maiden Grand Slam um, main draw match, I think that was massive. Storm Sanders as well. She pushed Svitolina, was actually up a set and a break against her. So that was mightily impressive. But then you've got Alex Demonor, who's never performed too well at Roland Garros, his second round was his career best performance and Thomas Martin Echeverry handled him with, with utter contempt really. It was six three, seven, six, six three and um, there wasn't really much that Demon All could answer in that contest. So his clay court game is probably the one that he really needs to repair and uh, and get back to or get up into into the top echelon because that's where you lose Demon All for three months a year, um, or for two months a year in April and May, where he just can't get the ranking points that he needs to push on. Grass is a great surface for him, and he made the fourth round at Wimbledon last year. But, yeah, the clay courts uh, still seem to haunt the Australians. What is Kokonakis's 
ceiling now, do you think? He's, I think he started this at 108 in the world. I would imagine he climbs a little bit off the back of the third round. But um, where can he get to? Can he get to top 50? Can he get to top 20 or 30 um, after all his injury setbacks? Look, I believe that Kokonakis is a top 30 player. I really do. I think his game is there. The foundation's there. And he's missed a, a massive body of, of work in his career with injuries, whether that's, you know, his pectoral, his shoulder. You know, he's had so many problems, which is so unlucky because he was he was destined to be right up there with, with Kyrgios. And, you know, when Tomic was still around, everyone was talking about those three guys you know, pushing forward and then Demon all comes along. Australian tennis looks wonderful. But, um, yeah, it's uh, look, I believe that he's he's a top 30 player. He can definitely get there. Mentally, I think, is the big one for him to try and just ensure that he doesn't let wonderful opportunities slip because we saw that at the Australian Open when he lost to Andy Murray from two sets to love up. Um, and then also what happened in the fourth set against Kachanov. He managed to get himself back into the match and actually get a foothold into it. And then all of a sudden, the Russian finds a way out and, um, and Kokonakis is left reeling again. But I think there's been so many positives from this. The grass courts should suit his game style. Um, to do what he's done on clay, that's actually been his best French, his best uh, Grand Slam result at the French Open. He made the um, third round in 2015 and now in 2023. So, yeah, I think maybe we have this great white hope on clay now that he might be able to start you know, pushing for results. But... Yeah, I think um, I think the world is his oyster at the moment, Kokonakis. He just needs to keep his body on the park, focus in the little tournaments because he tends to lift for the big ones, focus on those little ones, win some more titles and get his ranking into that top 50 for the first time because I genuinely, genuinely believe that he can get there. Val, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Uh, make sure you get plenty of sleep during the day in the coming week because it's going to be a big week to come at Roland Garros and I'm sure there's going to be a few more late nights ahead of you. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks, Eve Smark. Val Febo from the Breakpoint podcast, part of the First Serve team on SEN. And, of course, he's following the French Open at Roland Garros as we speak. Uh, the fifth one is um, what I would team is Jordan Dugowie Hysteria. He definitely deserves to be up at Tribunal and he'll get the weeks that he deserves. For mine it's a three. Um, but I thought I think the reaction post this incident has been over the top. After he handballed he was he was probably um, a half a second from, from protecting himself. He was in the process of getting his arm up and protecting himself. I'm not absolving from any of that. Okay. But the hysteria that surrounded and, and what a West Coast tweeting about Geordie to go well, again. It's, it's none of their a, business. They've just had a player that's been cleaned up. It's none of their business. And, and, and Dom Sheed saying like oh, now I've just seen the vision maybe we should have stood up for him. None of the players stood up because it wasn't seen anything outside of a football act. All right, hold fire. Otherwise, these teammates would have got over and had and remonstrate. Nathan Buckley on SEN this morning. Of course, uh, Nathan usually talks a lot of sense about uh, footy. I'm not sure whether he's suggesting that Hewitt should have uh, protected himself a little bit more, a little bit sooner. I think the reality is that. Elijah Hewitt shouldn't have been expecting contact because he'd already disposed of the ball and therefore Jordan Degoe shouldn't have been bumping him. Uh, it's a, Nathan says three, I'd argue four. Craig O'Donoghue said earlier on the show he thinks it's three. Um, yeah, late, high consequences. Lots and lots of weeks for Jordan Degoe and don't 
argue that Elijah Hewitt failed to protect himself. Please. Shouldn't have had to protect himself. What do you think? The temper at Bedshed text line is 0487 736 736. Or you can call us on the open line 13 12 55. Time for some news. We'll be back to talk rugby after the news. So what cool. It's an ugly old pass. That's final, guys. And that is full time. For the regular season of Super Rugby Pacific 2023, full-time here at HBF Park. Chiefs 43, Western Force 19. Yes, full-time in that game, full-time on Western Force's season. Unfortunately, a loss in that game to the Chiefs means they miss the Super Rugby Pacific Finals. To talk about that, we are joined by Stan Sports Rugby commentator Sean Maloney. Sean, welcome to the show. Good morning, mate. It was a uh, sad finish in many ways to the fourth season, a season that offered up plenty of really, really bright spots, but uh, up against the might and the uh, the deeply powerful Chiefs, uh, just just a big, uh, too big a step to climb in that last game. Yeah, it was. I guess we did have high hopes for the force, and obviously a win would have put them through to the finals for the first time. The Chiefs did rest a number of um, of their key players. Was it was there disappointment from this performance, Sean, or did they blow their chances earlier in the season of playing finals? Do you think? I, I think it's more just the earlier in the season uh, set up the force had to. Um, fail to overcome eventually, but uh, mate, they had such a tough run through the early part of the season. It was a really rough draw that they copped. So many games on the road, back-to-back-to-back games over there in New Zealand as well. So that didn't help things. Um, Obviously, the home record was terrific, but then those slip-ups away really, really stung them and set them up in that position where they had to try and drop a team that has been phenomenal this year. I mean, the Chiefs have only lost the one game. That was a a surprise loss uh, against the Reds. So essentially, they've lost to a team that will play in the final game, I think, of the season anyway. So there's something to be taken out of that. Um, I guess the bigger thing is that uh, Simon Cron has started to put together the framework of a team that can do some proper damage in 2024. What was the biggest and most costly loss, do you think? One that jumps off the page is the one the week before oh. against the Rebels in Melbourne, which was just horrendous, really. Yeah, that wasn't great. That wasn't, that wasn't great. Uh, the loss against the Tars over here wasn't real flash either. Um, I mean, you've got to you've got to try and obviously win all your games at home and then jag one or two away, and they just were unable to do it. I mean, that was the reality of it. It's so hard. I mean, it is so hard uh, to be on the road the way that those guys are that to, to jag wins. It's so far that they've got to travel, particularly when they're going to those you know far flung corners uh, of New Zealand. Most of the games that they played over in NZ weren't in the main stadiums. They're in their regional spots as well, which has another layer of travel and that kind of thing. So uh, all things considered, they've um, they've gone okay, I reckon, this year. And Simon Cron's first year in charge of the force. And I truly believe that he has unveiled a couple of gems in his starting 15 who will really shine next year. So who are the ones to watch out for as far as the young force players go, do you think, Sean? 
Okay, so they, they've got to try and hang on to and uh, re-sign their number 13, Sam Spink, who came over from uh, the UK from Wasso. He has been terrific. Max Bury has been a revelation in those last few games in the number 10 jersey. Uh, Jeremy Williams is going really well. And then there's a bunch of homegrown guys over there who'll... Um, Go well again next year as well. You've got Nick White heading west, which will be a huge in the Wallaby scrum half too. He alongside Isaac Fines, Lale Wasser will be terrific. Um, mate, I reckon. I reckon, honestly, from uh, from having had watched pretty much every minute of every game they played this year, they are, they are tracking in the right direction, and I reckon they could potentially be heading into uh, their best ever era as a part of. That would be fantastic because they have promised a bit at times in the past and then it sort of amounted to nothing. There's been the view coming out of the camp for most of this season that they are building something that is that can be built upon and uh, and can be sustained and improved. That's your view as well? well I, think, I honestly think that'll be most people's view. I think most people in Aussie rugby would share that uh, Thought process. Uh, Isaac Rotter there as well. Um, I'm just trying to think of the other guys from the starting 15 from Saturday night. I mean, it's it's when you when you assemble them all and toss them all out there at the strongest, they can really press. And obviously, the flip side to it being so hard to uh, travel for the guys at uh, the Western Force coming east. Um, similarly, it's really hard for the guys over this side to head that direction too. So if they can keep that home record, um, you know, that strong home record they've had over the last two years intact and then just pick up a couple on the road, they will be A-OK next year. Yeah, just having covered AFL from this side of the country for a long period of time, what they tend to do is target certain games they believe are winnable, take care of their home ground advantage, and then once they get to that stage, as you say, where they can pick off a couple of away games, the, the travel schedule is interesting, Sean. They're away for a month at one particular time. That's a, that's a long time mm. to be on the road. Is there anything that can be done, do you think, with the fixtures to make things a bit more fair and equitable for them? Well, I guess that becomes, doesn't it, where they, they'll do that draw later in the year and there'll be some consultation with broadcasters and the CEOs and Sanzar as well where they try and line it up and make it that way. But, I mean, it wasn't. I mean... The truth of it, it was not fair on them this year. Uh, I think they had that first game against the Rebels where they came back from 11 out of half time to beat them in back in round one and they were away again for another three or four weeks and back for one and they're on that road trip that you mentioned over to New Zealand. And again, like just to reinforce that, they weren't in the big city stops. Like they were down in Invercargill and they were well out of town for their game against the Hurricanes as well. They were in regional... Uh, sort of the region of Wellington rather than actually in the capital itself. So uh, it was it was tough sledding for them this year on that front. But in and amongst it, they managed to serve up some really entertaining footy. How are they tracking off the field, do you think? Do they have a firm toehold in the WA market now? And is the, the rest of the competition confident they're a, they're a viable on, and ongoing part of the competition? That's a really good question, and I reckon it's answered best via that turnout at um, HBF the other night. That was a big crowd. Like, that was a, uh, appreciating that it was a finals, um, a final spot on the line. It was their last round game of the year, but that was a really strong crowd. I was over there calling the match they had against the Highlanders uh, earlier in the season. Again, that was a really big crowd. So com- when you compare that to what's happening down in Melbourne uh, in terms of who's coming through the gates at Amy Park for the moment. The Western Force are well and truly in advance of them and 
I think they were, I haven't seen all that as since. We had that eight settle, but I think they may have even finished on top of them on that front as well. So it's it's all ticking along, and they've got the right guy there in charge in Simon Cron. He's terrific. He I know for a fact that he's reconnecting with um, grassroots and all levels of the game over there in Perth, as well as doing his thing with the Western Force. So it, it sets up real nice. It really does. Are you confident when you have an isolated team um, like the Force and they're in a, a, a non-rugby state, if you like, then the coach is really important in terms of player retention. You mentioned Simon Cron being the right person to be involved. Are you confident that his presence will be enough to keep players re-signing and, and, and enable them to build rather than be disrupted by departures? Totally, 100% I do. Uh, and, I mean, on top of that, you just look at the players that he managed to find He's obviously he scoured the uh, he scoured the globe looking for a backup nine, um, a winger as well as uh, as a centre, and he found man he got he would have got him at a, at a cut price as well I'd imagine. But Zach Kibberigi, the winger for the Western Force this year, I'm not sure if he'll be hanging around or if he's back to Europe. But I mean he was one of the stars of Super Rugby, undoubtedly one of the stars, one of the best wingers in the competition. Sam Spinkler touched on it at the start. He has been a revelation. And the number nine they had there, Gareth, uh, Gareth Simpson, who came in and captained the team. So Crony has a terrific eye for talent, bringing them in. And I think for the most part, when those guys get a chance to play underneath him and experience what he's about as a coach, then um, they'll, they'll want to stay because they'll send something good to just around the corner. So let's set a target for them next year, Sean. What's realistic? Does it have yep. to be finals for to, to, to mark a significant oh, step up? 100%. It's, it's, it's fine. It has to be finals for them next year. No doubt about it. They should be in a position next year, as I said, to win most of those home games. And then they should be looking at picking off. Um, they should be looking at picking off the Rebels in Melbourne rather than going down to a record defeat. They should be seriously targeting wins against Queensland and New South Wales. The Brumbies in Canberra is a really tough proposition. But if the draw sets up and they've got those teams um, doubled up next year, then 100%. They should, it should be finals at an absolute minimum for them next year. Now, you mentioned the Chiefs are clear favourites. You think they'll be playing on in the last game. 13-1 and one puts them three games clear of, uh, of any opposition. Are they really that dominant in this competition? Oh, honestly, I mean, your, uh, your listeners and those who were at the ground the other night would have got a, a taste of just how impressive uh, their defence is, firstly. I mean, the week before, I uh, was just doing that game down in Canberra, so they were against the best Aussie Super Rugby team for some time, the... Uh, the Brumbies, and mate, the Brumbies couldn't make an impression on them in any facet of the game. They were that good in defence. Uh, they're loaded with plenty of depth and plenty of strike power as far as their attacking uh, players go. They, I think statistically, mate, but statistically, if you finish uh, number one in Super Rugby, I mean, we go back sort of 15 years, invariably you win the competition because you, they, they, don't, they won't leave Hamilton out, so they're back there this weekend. They'll play... CG, they'll beat CG, they'll likely play the Brumbies in week two, they'll beat the Brumbies over there, I'd suggest, and then they'll welcome in one of their fellow Kiwi teams, of which they've beaten all this year anyway. So Chiefs are rightful favourites, and I reckon the Blues are probably the Smokies for the title. Okay, and the Crusaders, where where do they sit, do you think? They, on the yeah, level, I, at least, I, they're, they're the nearest opposition? 
Yeah, so they finished regular season second, defending champions. So it looks like they will play, I'm just trying to do numbers, they'll likely play the Blues in week two of the finals. Uh, but I think the Blues can probably maybe get get the Crusaders in that particular game and then move through to the big one. So, uh, yeah, Crusaders will win this week uh, 100%, with almost 100% certainty. Uh, and then it'll be the Blues in week two for them. Do we need a bit more equalisation in this competition? I know that not every competition practices it, but if you go down to the the bottom end of the finals, down to the the, the sort of spot that the Force were fighting for, I think the Reds are there with a five and nine record. That's a it's a pretty stark contrast to what you've got up at the top end, haven't you? With the Chiefs sitting at thirteen and one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I am actually a proponent for having it as a top six. I think that there are too many teams that go ahead and qualify in a twelve team competition. Uh, I think eight's too many for a final spot and statistically speaking mate you are you generally can fight um, in week one of the finals as well like I don't think in the history of the competition we've had a situation where you know the bottom ranked qualifying team has beaten the top side and similarly down to I think about seventh or sixth so I reckon uh, it should just be the top six that go through and and then just they can bump the season out with uh, a home and away against all teams inside your conference. So that would be my suggestion. Um, maybe that brings some equalisation, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, as it stands at the moment, there's a, there's a bit of disparity, especially heading into the finals, as I said, where the bottom place teams very rarely make it in. I like those thoughts. I think they make a lot of sense, Sean. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and uh, good luck calling the finals in the coming weeks. Good chatting. Thanks, mate. Sean Maloney, he's a Stan Sports Rugby commentator, giving us the wrap-up of Western Forces' uh, 2023 season. Of course, disappointing end to it, 43-19 loss to the Chiefs on Saturday night. But some sound steps made this year for Western Force, and hopefully they can build on that next season. We'll take a break, and we'll be back with more after the show. We're getting a lot of texts coming through on Jordan Degoe. If you want to have your say, it is on the Temper at Bedshed text line, 0487 or you can call us on the open line if you want to have a rant on on air about it. Uh, we'll be back after the break. So the Pies' view is that if he is suspended and has a mid-season buy, he can go to Bali, he can go to anywhere he wants. He's a very different player and much more mature than this time 12 months on. Gee, when in doubt, do the same thing as last year. <laughs> they say about uh, you know repeating the same thing and hoping for a different result. Yeah, that's the definition of insanity. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Telling Jordan to go, you're not going to Bali, no. mate. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Paul mm. Heath is with me in the studio. Heather, you did a bit camping on the weekend. Yeah, it was good. I uh, made it through uh, before the rain came. Um, I got the uh, hot tip from around the campsite early Sunday morning, 20 mils on the way, and I said to the boys, oh, yeah, 20 mils on the way, and heard from someone, and they just... Rubbished it, basically. I started packing everything up. We got everything in. As we got the last thing in and pulled out of there, just bucketed down. So, yeah, but great weekend. Yep. Unless you're really well set up, camping is yeah. no fun nah. in the rain. It's just uh, uh, It was wet enough, you know, without the rain coming as it was. So, uh, no, but a good good weekend. Um, plenty of texts coming through about Jordan to go. We'll start with uh, Dave. At what point does the AFL make a statement against concussion? We're talking about players' careers. To go, he should get six but won't. The lawsuits will keep coming. That's from Dave. Yeah, Dave sent a number through. It started off very reasoned and, <laughs> and measured, and then he got uh, he got a bit vitriolic towards the end. I oh, look, 
I think Dave makes a good point. Um, whether it's six weeks, I think it should be four. Mm. Myself, I know Craig O'Donoghue, who measures these things very carefully on the metrics that the AFL sets for them. Um, I know he believes it will be three. I think Nathan Buckley believes it will be three. But the bottom line is that they're now eliminating players and suspending them for legitimate football acts like tackles if a player's head hits the ground mm. and they feel they're over-exuberant in the way they've tackled and they've driven him to that. But tackling when a player has the ball is a normal football action. Now, Nathan Buckley said this is a football action. Bumping a bloke after he's got rid of the ball is not a football action. Mm. You're not allowed to do it. Not modern footy. You're not allowed to do it. And yep. if there's a consequence for it, i.e. Elijah Hewitt gets concussion, then there has to be a consequence for the bloke that did it. He was late. He should have been smothering or attempting to intercept the handball. He wasn't. He just ran at him and bumped him. He was late. He got him high. Hewitt's concussed. I would argue that all adds up to four weeks. Mm. And um, Merv agrees with you. He says Dugowie four weeks. So uh, that seems to be around the figure that's going to happen, uh, we would think at the moment, but you never know what's going to... So what do you think? I think it's four. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think they'll do? Uh <laughs> Three or four. High two, low three. Somewhere around that. It'll figure. be more than two. Yeah. It will be more than two. I, yep. I think it's minimum three. It's mm. a case of whether they can get him to four or five. I mean, the fact he's gone straight to the tribunal tells you that yep. it's, it's that it's three plus. That's going to be three plus. Um, I, I would I would think they would be absolutely open to ridicule mm. if it's anything less than three, given the stance they've taken yep. on other. Uh, you know, given the blokes. Uh, Yager O'Meara will sit yeah. in the grandstand this week when the guy's head barely hit the ground mm. and he bounced up and took a kick. If that's one week, then Elijah Hewitt not playing for two weeks mm. because he's concussed, that has to be, yeah, minimum three. What about Duggan's one? That seemed pretty low on the, you know, sort of impact into the ground. There was a bit of help there as well um, with his tackle on Adams, but he's got the weak... Yeah, um, I ended out as well. Do you think they should take that back there? I, so I didn't think I, I I thought O'Meara's was really marginal. I think Degart Duggan's is a bit the same. But yeah. if you go on how they're ruling on these things, it's probably going to be a week. And as long as it's a week across the board, mm. I guess you go, that's okay. But if players start getting off, then uh, then that's a different matter. Is there still a way to tackle someone to the ground? I wouldn't be trying to take a player to the ground. You would just hold them up, right? I'd be trying to pin the arms and yeah. hold him up. Yeah, because yeah. it feels like that motion to the ground is gone because it doesn't matter. Fast, slow, it's a week Yeah, if you make that motion. Yep. 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 That's the way it goes. Uh, Lisa from Ellenbrook saying, Morning, Duff and team. Happy WA Day to all. Uh, totally agree with you about the Eagles players not going after Dugowie and causing a melee. To me, that doesn't achieve anything, and violence in sports needs to be stamped out, and it's not what we want our kids to see and think it's okay to start a brawl and stick up for your teammate. As you know, I'm a huge Eagle fan. Dugowie knew he did the wrong thing, and you could clearly see he was visibly upset with what he'd done, and he and the club will accept whatever penalty he's given. Yeah, he'll clearly get into some Buddhist uh, <laughs> prayer in in uh, Bali and reflect and come back a wiser and more balanced. Yeah. I, I can't believe that he's going to, they're going to let him go to Bali in the break. Given his form. Mm. Different sort of player. I'm totally more mature. Than <laughs> than yeah. I mean, the fact that he wants to go to Bali in the break, I mean, how much more mature is he? <laughs> he's he's going to be over there for 
what, three nights yeah. maybe? Yeah. So he's going to be going hard. I mean, I, I do some silly things, but that sounds silly. Yeah. That sounds real silly. That, yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You've got me there. I'm almost speechless, but I can't be because we've got to take a break. You can still get a late text in if you want to on the temper at Bedshed text line 0487 736 736, or you can get a call in on the open line 13 12 55. Back after the break. I will be signing with the club for a further two years and um, I'm really excited about what the next two years can bring. It was super seamless. I've got the best manager in the business, Jason Dover, and it allows me to focus on my footy and help this footy club um, be as good as it can be. Nat Fife has been given a two-year contract extension. He's missed 32 games in three and a half seasons. He turns 32 in a few months. He's the 24th rated player at his own club, Fremantle. He's a shadow of himself, yet Fremantle have committed to him for another two seasons after this one. Are they like are they scared of him? Are they scared of him? Has he got Since, 50 games left in him? I that's a that's a I, I doubt it. Has I he got it. 40 left in him? I reckon he's got 25 and five good ones. Kane Corns painting a very bleak picture of Fremantle's decision to sign Nathan Five for two years. It probably was going to take a two-year signing to get him to the line. It's an interesting question. If Nathan Fife can stand up and play 15 good games over the next couple of years and one of those or two of those are in big finals, say, in 2024, then you could argue that that contract is worth it. Um, it's, a, it's a marginal call, though, isn't it? Um, I would have done it if I was Fremantle, uh, given their position. And given the youth around him on their list, I think they have a lot of young talent. So I think it's worth uh, taking the punt on the older player in the hope that you get some big games out of him still. But uh, he has been injury prone and he's been injury prone for a couple of seasons now. So interesting take on it by Kane Corns. Of course, you'll never be in any doubt as to what Kane's thinking about anything. He will let you know. What do you think? The temperate bedshed text line 0487 736 736. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. You can still sneak in a late text if you want to on the temperate bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. Camping Paul Heath is back. <laughs> Look stayed, up my uh, YouTube channel. Stayed dry, forecast the weather, yep. got out of Dodge before it got too wet. Heater, what have you got for us in the... Caught my first black brim as well. Did you really? Yeah. Congratulations. Tiny, but... Uh, too small to eat? Yeah, yeah, put it back. We've got a couple of whiting that we kept, but um, no, it's uh, good to check that one off the list. Uh, Rhonda joining us. Uh, morning, Duff. I couldn't agree with you more on your take on West Coast. Herm will be out for weeks now. How good would it be for Herm to announce that this is his final season? It'll give us time to thank him and send him off properly. Agree with you on Nick Nat and Shuey. If they can't get more time on the park, then tough goals need to be made. Gaff shot at goal on Saturday was embarrassing. It doesn't just sum up his season. It sums up his last few years. We need to set some clear performance improvement expectations for Gaff or say goodbye at the end of the season. His form renders no longer best 22 either if others were fit and O'Neill and Rotham would be on notice, improve or trade out. Yep. Well, that's pretty much what I said. So I uh, can't disagree with any of that, Rhonda. Um, oh, yeah, I think they need to get tougher, West Coast. There's going to be a significant cull, I think, there at the end of the season. So... Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Shannon Hearn is the easy call. And the only reason I even mentioned it was because someone told me last week that there was a possibility he would go on. Mm. And if you look at the feedback I'm getting on Twitter, 
from some of the Eagles diehards. <laughs> Apparently, they think he should go on as well. Now, seriously, this is this is list management 101, guys. This is the easy one. Retire the 36-year-old. That's easy. Mm. How old was David Mundy when he retired? He was 36, I think. Yep. He was going better than Shannon Hearn is. And he was in a team that was in finals contention. Shannon Hearn isn't. It's get that one right and then it's proving time for everyone else. Mm. Nick Natanui and Luke Shuey need to prove they can get out there and stay out there. Andrew Gaff needs to prove he still has something to offer at 30 or 31. And Xavier O'Neill and Josh Rotham have to prove they can play at the level. Yep. And this business about we need to keep senior players around, they have them. They were the four best players on Saturday night. Yep. Liam Duggan, Tim Kelly, Elliot Yo, and Dom Sheed. Mm. Not to mention Jeremy McGovern will be back. He has a contract. Some would say he shouldn't have got two years, but he will be back. Hopefully he stays out there. Jamie Cripps will still be there. Jack Darling will still be there. Hmm. Tom Barris will be back. There are plenty of senior players around at West Coast. You don't need to keep every veteran around. It's time for them to get tougher in list management. And the cliff comes fast. Yeah. Of drop-off. And, I mean, the hamstrings start happening. You, you, you don't get that back to where it once was before. And then we start getting critical of, oh, it's an injured player all the time. And like, look at look at what sort of athletes Nat Nui and Shui are in particular. They're explosive. Mm. What happens to explosive athletes when they break? They tend to stay broken. Look at Stephen Hill at Fremantle. Yep. You know, once he broke, that was it. Stephen Hill played basically 200 games virtually incident and injury-free and then couldn't get out there. Mm. Um, Luke Shuey's gone 20 games further than Stephen Hill, but they're very similar in the way they move, mm. even though they're very different builds. So, yeah, I just think it's time to get tough and make good, sensible, hard-nosed calls. Jimmy of Bustleton says, been calling for Gaff's head ever since he hit Brayshaw. Overpaid, overrated. Uh, Simo's backing in his old injured players will bring him down. Yeah, I don't like that. I, look, my take on the Andrew Brayshaw incident was that um, – Brayshaw was close checking him. Gaff wanted to create some space for himself. He lashed out. He wanted to hit him high in the chest. He got it wrong. He hit him flush on the jaw. Yeah, under AFL rules, when you throw a clenched fist, you are responsible for where it lands. He had to be suspended for six, seven, or eight weeks. He got eight. That meant he didn't play in the 2018 um, grand final. It was like it wasn't a turning point in Andrew Gaff's career. It was in a very unfortunate moment in Andrew Gaff's career. It was a very unfortunate moment for Andrew Brayshaw. Um, because he got a broken jaw and shattered teeth. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that. But let, let's also not forget it cost Andrew Gaff a premiership, mm. and um, and he probably won't get one now. Yeah. Uh, Ronda following up as well, saying, Simo was every West Coast supporter in that press conference. You could see it in his face that he was steaming. Regarding Dugowie, all the West Coast players could have done what Clark did throughout the rest of the game, extra niggle, a bit more legal blocking, et cetera, but they didn't. That is what was disappointing from my view. They needed to send a signal that it's not okay to target our teenagers. Yeah, again, you get back to that, you know, teenagers. When you're out there, you're out there. Yeah. Um, so I would disregard that. Um, I didn't mind what Greg Clark did, but my point would be is that when you're picking from 28 players and you've got massive injuries and you've just lost two in one game, the last thing you need is for someone to fly in and throw a jumper punch yep. that gets him one or two weeks as well. Liam Duggan, as it turns out, has already going to cop a one-week ban out of the game. Mm. So they're going to be picking for even less 
when they go to Adelaide to play the Crows and they're going to be more vulnerable because Liam Duggan is one of their most experienced hard-bodied players. So, you know, yeah, play hard by all means, you know, maybe add a bit of GST when you tackle him and, and that sort of thing, but but let's not overstep the mark. And they in modern footy, you have to be very careful. Uh, Merv uh, saying, Mark, I've watched Jake Waterman play and I think he's a selfish player. He always turns his back on his teammates. It's not good for team cohesion. Completely disagree with you, Merv. I think the thing about Jake Waterman that stands out, I think this stood out when he was playing in 2018 before he got dropped, he actually does understand the team structure and he does play his role in the team structure. You're talking about a guy who stepped up and was the backup ruckman Mm. for the first 10 weeks of the season, Merv. Um, you know, he's not a guy that just says, oh, I'm going to do things my way and, and bugger the rest of you. He's like, okay, what do I do? What do I need to do to play in this team? He's a good set shot at goal. That probably is why he turns his back on his teammates. He's trying to get his breath back because he's backing himself to kick the goal. A lot mm. of forwards do that. And um, if you did the balance of probabilities, you know, if, if I got a mathematician in, I reckon one of the most overrated things in footy is this: you need to share the ball yeah. inside the attacking 50. Yep. If you can get your shoulders pointed at the goals and you're a good kick, mm. back yourself to kick the goal. Yeah. Because the minute you try and pass to a teammate, what is the probability of you, A, making the right decision, B, executing the kick right, C, the opposition not reading it and intercepting it, D, the player on the end of it mm. marking it, yeah. and E, him going back and kicking the goal versus you just kicking the mm. goal? There's a few there. That's... Uh... It's out of my pay grade. You get a mathematician yeah. in to assess that, and I'll bet he comes up with you're more likely to kick the goal. You've just blown up my abacus, unfortunately. Uh, Mark from Palmyra saying, Morning, boys. With the mid-season buy round, do we really need another week off between the last round of the season and first week of the finals? Um, I think you need a buy in there somewhere. Now, whether it's at the uh, before the end of the season and the first week of the finals or whether it's before after the preliminary final and before the grand final in case someone gets concussed. Mm. I think it's a long, brutal season. And I think one by week in the middle of it, I don't think quite cuts it. So, yeah, I, I would argue yes. Mm. Uh, Noddy joining us on the text line and taking us off uh, the local chatter, saying another disappointing game from Rory Lobb. He's 12 games into a four-year contract. Is he in the dogs at best 22? He's not shooting the lights out, Rory, but I would argue he's pretty important to their structure. And I quite like their structure um, with the talls in attack. It'd be interesting to see what they do with Norton if he doesn't start kicking more goals than he's kicking at the moment um, because, you know, they are still a bit vulnerable down back and Aaron Norton did come through as a brilliant young defender. But I, I think Rory Lobb's been okay. He was serviceable again on the weekend. He plays that forward ruck role. Um, you know, I think Fremantle took the view on him in the end that he didn't do enough when he went into the ruck because Tim English is playing so well and playing so much in the ruck. Rory's not having to do a lot of ruck worth. He gives him a target. What did he kick on the weekend? He kicked one or two? He got one. One goal one. One goal one? Yep. Uh, what did he kick for the season? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring that to you. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> but I, he, he's not on his way to a 36-goal season like he had at Fremantle last year. But uh, four-year deal, probably a little bit too much, but they probably had to do that to get him and they probably felt he was important to the structure. Mm. Um, uh, concerns for the dogs? Uh, they were up and about a little bit, but then the cats haven't been that great of late. But uh... Sometimes clubs just don't match up well yeah. with other clubs. I think that makes it eight out of ten mm. that Geelong's beaten the Western Bulldogs. They seem to have the wood on them. They seem to be able to cancel out their strength. And, and with the Bulldogs, we know what their strength is, don't we? It's pretty obvious. You know, they've got... 
70-70 quality midfielders <laughs> and they just throw them at you. If yeah. you can stand your ground in the face of that and get pressure on them, particularly when they go inside attacking 50 and turn the ball over, then you can get them on the counter-attack. And obviously Tom Stewart had a massive game on the weekend. Blitzarves had a massive game on the weekend. And they were smart in the way they structured up at the other end as well. Tom Hawkins played deep, uh, kept Liam Jones back and out of it and kept him away from intercepting attacks, and that made the Bulldogs' defence more vulnerable. So well done to Chris Scott, well done to Geelong, and the Doggies' obvious strengths and still a few obvious weaknesses, I think. 13 goals for Rory so far this year. Yeah, well, there you go. That's not a big return, is it? So that's on the way to maybe 26, 27 for the season. Mm. That's about where he was for most of his career before last year. Yep. Makes you wonder why he wanted to go, really, doesn't it? Straight out his reasons. Yep. Yep. I'm sure he did. <laughs> All right. We'll take a break and be back to close up the show after the break. Welcome back. Closing up the show. Paul Heath is back in the studio with me. Heater. Uh, text here coming through. I'm not too sure who from, but saying any information from the club, uh, re Cody Bergel. Uh, is it really his third hammy for the season? That's a concern for a new draftee. Um, so if Cody Bergel was injured at the weekend, that would be his third hamstring for the season. And he's never had one before. So mm. that is a massive concern for West Coast, if that's the case. But we have not had that confirmed by West Coast yet. And West Coast usually does not put their injury list out until uh, late on Tuesday. So we may have to wait another 24 hours for that one. That is concerning. Uh, there's also uh, other injury news or a player coming back from injury around uh, Australia's squad for the World Test Championship against India. Michael Nessa has been called into the 15-man squad in place of Josh Hazelwood who's uh, been battling an ongoing Achilles issue and a side strain, but they said he wasn't too far off being cherry ripe. But with uh, the big tour over there um, for the winter, uh, the uh, Aussies have decided to bring Nessa in, but it looks like Scotty Boland's going to get the uh, nod to uh, make it into the 11. I was going to say, surely he plays. Surely Scotty Boland plays. Yeah. Um, It would be Stark, Mm. Cummins and Boland with Cam Green, the fourth seamer, and Nathan Lyon. Yeah. following the spin. I just like the story of Nessa. Like, he's doing great work over there. He's taking a hat trick. He's scoring runs as well. There's also that element of things that comes into it. Um, he's a very valuable player. Mm. He's not quite as valuable as a curator is in India, but he's a very, <laughs> very valuable player. We've still got some uh, local footy coming up this afternoon as well. We've got, uh, well, the, it's derby round, isn't it, with uh, East Fremantle taking on South Fremantle. Now, what's Wacker. our winning run, Hater? It's about 12, isn't it? Are we up to 12? Oh, yeah, that's right, because they, had, on the they, were, they were red hot for a chance last year and they blew it, weren't they? Yep, I think Cam yep. Erdley missed a shot. That's right. Sorry, uh, Cam, if you're listening, um, <laughs> to bring your name up. But, uh, yeah, that's a big streak, isn't it? And I would think it's probably going to continue... Do you reckon? Oh, this is probably the worst one, isn't it? Oh, I reckon they are more vulnerable than they yeah. have ever been at any point yeah. in this streak. Bill's South, the Sharks if, humming. if you get this win south, I think East Fremantle may need counselling. Duffel by a couple more uh, memberships. Uh, you heard it here first. Uh, East Perth versus West Perth? Oh, that reminds me. It's Peter Christie's listening. <laughs> I still have not received my memberships, Peter. Can't Just, believe it. It's because you paid cash. That's why. Uh, I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, probably Sharks and uh, – or probably Falcons, you think. But Royals and Falcons should be a great game as well. Yeah, that'd be a ripper. Um, strong midfield Royals, of course. Angus Schumacher coming off his Simpson medal. I'm going to tip – you know what? It's sacrilege. I'm going to tip the Sharks to beat the Dogs. Wow. And I think the Falcons to beat the Royals. Yeah, I agree with that. I might, actually, I might just go the Royals just to make it different. All right. Been a great show today. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back again with another show tomorrow. And uh, 
We'll look forward to your company on Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA.